Welcome to the Hope in the Hard Times sermon series. I preached this series of messages back in 2012 at the Metropolitan Bible Church, shortly after I'd gone through treatments for cancer. Now in 2020, as we face hard times related to the coronavirus, we at Heritage College and Seminary are re-releasing the sermon set, along with a companion study guide. As you dig deeper into God's Word, you will receive hope in the hard times. Well, we're in the middle of a series here at the Met entitled Hope in the Hard Times. And there was a point in preparation for this series that I thought about entitling it Lessons from the Waiting Room. Uh, because this past year has been filled with a, a good bit of waiting in my life, in my wife's life. Waiting for doctor's appointments, waiting for medical procedures, waiting for test results, waiting for recovery. Waiting is one of the things that makes hard times so hard. Now, hard times come to us in all kinds of shapes and sizes. They come in different ways, don't they? I mean, hard times could come to us as a, as a fracture in our family, could come as a death of a loved one, maybe the inability to conceive a child that you've longed for. Hard times can come in a, a rift in a relationship that was really precious to you. Hard times can come in the form of of a financial reversal, maybe a job loss. Sometimes hard times come just in the form of the decline that we feel as we get older. But a common theme that runs through all kinds of hard times is the theme of waiting. Whatever, whatever the hard time is, you got to wait, right? You wait for things to change. You wait for things to get better. And that waiting can start to weigh on you and wear you down. Waiting can feel excruciating at times. And when you're waiting, one of the hard things to do is to hold on to hope. One of the challenges you have when you're waiting is to not lose heart, to not lose hope. To hold on to hope when life seems to have put you on hold. Last spring, during a time when I was doing some extended waiting there, I came across a passage in Scripture that helped me put together the idea of waiting and hope. Because, listen, if you don't have hope in hard times, if you don't know how to have hope in hard times, you're going to lose heart. And, and so you have to learn somehow to wait in hope. But how do you put those two things together? How do you put together waiting and hoping? Well, last spring, I remember reading a passage that brought those two things together for me in a very helpful way. It was a passage of scripture that was one of the Psalms, a Psalm penned by King David. And I remember reading this Psalm on a very cold April morning. It was early in April and, and snow was still falling outside and there were no signs of spring. But this passage was used by God to, to bring some like warm breezes of hope blowing my way. And if you're in the season of waiting on God right now, if it feels like the weight of waiting is wearing you down, then this morning I have a passage of Scripture you'll want to hear because it speaks to you about how to wait in hope. So I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 40. Today we're going to look at a Psalm of David, Psalm 40. A Psalm that speaks to us about waiting in hope. 
A lot of you here today are doing some waiting, but are you waiting in hope? Would you like to have hope while you wait? Well, this psalm speaks to you about how does a person come to wait with hope? And as I prepared for this morning, I've had a sense that though I don't know the stories of everyone here today, I am convinced there are people that are just hanging on saying, I've been doing a lot of waiting. I'd sure like a little hope in the midst of it. So let's pray that God would use his word to help us today. Would you join your heart with mine as I pray? Father, you know that for us, waiting can be excruciating at times. Sometimes it's the hardest part just to wait and to wonder. And I pray that this morning you would use your word in the hearts of each and every man and woman or boy or girl who finds themselves at a time when the waiting seems to be never ending. Today, would you use your word to help us find hope in the waiting, to wait in hope. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. David begins Psalm 40 with these words, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. David begins the psalm by talking about waiting, doesn't he? I waited patiently for the Lord, he says. I waited patiently for the Lord. In fact, right off the bat, David gives us a little bit of an insight on what it means to wait on God. Embedded in that first verse is is a helpful description of what waiting on God really means. I would put it this way. David's going to tell us in this verse and as we go through the psalm that waiting on God means keeping hope alive till help arrives. The waiting on God is about keeping hope alive until help arrives. It's about Hanging, in, hanging on to hope, not letting it go, and hanging on to it until God sends help. Waiting on God means keeping hope alive till help arrives. You see, David begins by talking about waiting there in verse 1. I waited for the Lord. Now, the, the Hebrew word that's translated waited there in verse 1 is a richly nuanced word. It's a word that's filled with hope. In fact, in fact, sometimes this same word that's translated waited here in verse 1, sometimes that same word is translated by the word hope in other passages. Same word can be waited, can be hope. For example, Psalm 52 verse 11, David says, uh, in your name I will hope. But it's the same word for wait. So he could have said, in your name I will wait. It's that same idea. I'm waiting, but I'm hoping. Or a, a verse that you'll know Psalm or Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, those who hope in the Lord will gain new strength. But you might be saying, wait, no, 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 that says those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. Well, it's the same word, wait, hope, same word there. Now, I realize that when you and I use the word wait in, in English, we often don't have that idea of hope built in. Sometimes when we talk about waiting, we feel rather hopeless. Like we say, I'm waiting for my ship to come in. Like, when's the ship going to come in? Well, probably never, but I'm waiting for it, right? So it's not always a hope-filled waiting. But the Bible, when it uses the word waiting, specifically when it talks about waiting on God, whenever it talks about waiting on God, there is built into that this idea of hope, of confidence, of expectation. In fact, that's why David can transition from talking about waiting on God to trusting in God. Look at verse 4. He kind of moves seamlessly to talk about trusting in God. Blessed is the man, verse 4 says, who makes the Lord his trust. So waiting 
on God is very similar to trusting in God and hoping in God. And when you have hope and when you trust in God, then you can keep waiting even when it seems that the help is painfully slow to arrive. You keep waiting and you keep hope alive till help arrives, even when that help seems slow in coming. Now listen, David knew that sometimes the help we wait for doesn't come real quickly. In fact, look at verse 1. Here's a, here's a fascinating thing that doesn't come out so well in the English text. Do you see the word patiently in verse 1? I waited patiently. See the word patiently? In the Hebrew text, that's the exact same verb as the word to wait. Literally, you could translate this, I waited to wait on the Lord. But that doesn't come across real well in English, so we said, I waited patiently on the Lord. But David uses the same word. I waited to wait on the Lord. I waited waiting on the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, I really waited. Like, this was not just a single wait. This was like a wait, you know, squared. I waited to wait on the Lord. The message version of the Bible puts it this way. I waited and waited and waited for God. I really waited. Now listen, David was a man who knew that sometimes you have to wait on the Lord. Wait patiently. You know David's life? You know a little bit about his story? Remember how as a young boy, maybe like the scholars think maybe like 15 years old, he was anointed to be king of Israel. Did he become king right away? No, he had to wait. In fact, it was probably well over a decade before he was anointed as king of Judah, which was part of Israel, and then another seven years until he was made king over all Israel. So he waited for years. And that waiting was not just sitting around kind of patiently biding his time. If you know his story, early on, his waiting was spent running because the present king, Saul, wasn't too happy about a future king named David. And he tried to kill him. So David is waiting on the Lord, but it's, it's going on and on year after year after year after year after year. So you say, well, how does somebody keep hope alive till help arrives? How do you keep waiting on the Lord when it seems the help is so slow in coming? Well, that's what David is going to tell us in this psalm. He's going to tell you how to keep hope alive. In fact, what we're going to see as we work our way through the psalm is that keeping hope alive takes active steps of faith. In fact, that's the second thing I want you to see about waiting on God today. First thing is waiting on, on the Lord. Waiting on God means keeping hope alive to help arrives. But now as we go through the psalm, here's what we're going to find out how you do that. Waiting on the Lord takes active steps of faith. Waiting on the Lord takes active steps of faith. If you want to keep hope alive, you're going to have to take active steps of faith to do it. Now, I realize that when we hear the word waiting, we often think of something that's rather passive, right? Like when you wait for the bus, what do you do? Well, you just stand there, and you watch your watch, and you look down the road, hoping for the big red and white thing to come soon. You're, you're pretty passive. Well, listen, in the Bible, when you wait for the Lord, you're active. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 8. Catch this. Isaiah 26, verse 8 says this. Walking in the way of your law, we wait for you. Isn't that interesting? Walking in the way of your law, we wait. As we walk, we're waiting. So waiting is not something that keeps you passive. It's something that keeps you active. In fact, in Psalm 40, David is going to give you five steps of faith that you can take to keep hope alive while you wait. 
So are you waiting on God right now? Does it seem interminably long? Well, you're going to need some active steps of faith to keep hope alive. And let's look at what they are. The first step of faith comes in verses 1 to 5. And the first thing David does that you and I can do is this, is to remember God's past deliverance. Remember God's past deliverance. First step of faith is you remember. You remember what God did in the past for you. Look at how David does that. Look at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, mud in the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us, no one could recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Now, if you just read those verses, you would be, you would be thinking, well, David is writing this psalm at a really good place in his life, right? You'd think like he's on top of the world. He's, he's saying, hey, I used to be in the slimy pit, but God pulled me up and now I'm on the strong and sturdy rock. I used to be singing the blues, but now I'm singing praise songs. He's put a new song in my mouth. Warren Wiersbe says that uh, David used to be in the mire, but now he's in the choir, right? He's, he's gone from the mud to the choir. He's, he's singing. The, he, you think David is, must be like on, he's just having a great day. Actually, that's not true. I know that because as we read through the psalm, you find out that David is in a desperate place in his life. In fact, look at the very last verse of the psalm. Kind of give you a sneak preview where we're going. Verse 17, he says, Yet I am poor and needy. I am, like right now, poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. See, David is writing this at a time in his life when he says, I am poor and needy, and I, God, I need your help, like, right away, right away. So what's going on in verses 1 through 5? I think this is what's going on. David is in a difficult place in his life. But what he chooses to do to keep hope alive is he remembers what God has done for him in the past. He recounts a time that he was in the mud and God pulled him out and put him on the rock. He remembers a time he was singing the blues and then God brought him up and he was singing praise. Now there is a model for us. You in a time of waiting on God when you feel like, God, please come quick, come quick. How do you keep hope alive? Well, one thing you do is you remember God's past deliverance. As you wait for his help in the present, you remember what he's done in the past. As you wait for his help to arrive, you remember and you thank him for the grace you've already received. You say, well, I don't feel like doing that. I'm saying, well, I don't know that David felt like doing that. We don't know. We just know he did it. He chose. And sometimes by an act of our will, we say, right now, I'm in a desperate place, but I am going to choose to remember, God, what you did for me. And you know what happens as you start to choose to do that and you recount and you remember? It's like hope begins to rise. There's something about that. It helps you keep hope alive. So let me ask you, can you do that today? If you're waiting on God in the present, can you remember something he's done for you in the past where you can go, hey, I do remember that. Like, God, you really got me out of a jam there. You really came through. It's one of the ways you keep hope alive. 
Well, there's a second way that David says you keep hope alive. He does it and we can do it. It shows up in verses 6 through 8. In verses 6 through 8, David says, here's a second step you can take to keep hope alive. And that is to reaffirm your present dedication. You remember God's past deliverance, and then you reaffirm your present dedication. You'll see that in verse 6. Look at it. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come, it is written about me in the scroll, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is writ within my heart. David begins in verse 6 by saying that God doesn't want sacrifice and offering from him. Doesn't want a burnt offering and sin offering. Now, if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, you know that God did require offerings and sacrifices. So what's David saying? I think he's saying that he's come to understand what God wants most. He's putting it in a a poetic way, but he's saying, like, I've come to understand what God really wants. Do you see in verse 6 where he has a little phrase, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Look what comes next. He says, but my ears you have pierced. Some Old Testament scholars think that that's a reference to what a slave did when a slave was so devoted to his or her master that they had their ear pierced as kind of a sign, like, I'm serving you now because I want to, not because I have to. Could be that. But more likely, what David is just saying is this, is, God, you've opened my ears. Literally, the Hebrew says, my ears you have dug. And if you look in the margin, if you have an NIV, it actually has the marginal reading, you have opened. I think what David is saying is this, ah, God, you have opened my ears to hear and understand what you really want. And what is it that God really wants? Look at verse 7. Then I said, here I am, I have come, it is written about me in the scroll, I desire to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. David says, I've come to hear and understand what you really want. Do you know what God really wanted from David? He wanted David, right? What God wanted most from David was David. What God wanted most from David was for him to give himself. So David says, you know, God, I realize you're not just looking for a sacrifice. You're looking for me. And so here I am. I come. Your law is in my heart. My will is desired to you. I have a surrendered will. I have a devoted heart. See what David is doing? He's in the middle of a tough time. He's waiting for God to come through. But he's reaffirming his present dedication. He's saying, God, I just want you to know you got me. You have all of me. I am yours. That's what I want you to know. Listen, if you're going through a waiting season right now, if you're stuck in the waiting room, you know what God wants from you? He wants you. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the sacrifice he's waiting for. He's wanting you to say, God, here I am. This is an excruciating time in my life, but here I am. You have me. Surrendered will, devoted heart, all that I got, I, I give to you. I'm reaffirming that. Last Christmas, I, was, I got a CD of an artist that I really like, a guy named Matt Maher. And there's a song on it called Lay It Down. And over Christmas, I would listen to that song over and over. The, the, the words go, Everything I am, everything I hope to be, I lay it down at your feet. 
And I would sing along with that. But I tell you what, that song took on a whole new light once I was diagnosed with cancer. And I found it a lot harder to play that song when I would say, do I still mean, God, now that I'm facing something that could take me out, do I still mean everything I am, everything I hope to be, I lay it down. You see, what hard times do is they bring us to a new level of surrender, don't they? Like, they bring us to a place where we go, okay, do I still really mean this? It's easy to say I lay it down in the good times, but now am I willing to say I lay it down, I give you myself in the hard times. But as you reaffirm that, you know what it does? It helps keep your hope alive. So David does that. Remembers God's past deliverance. He reaffirms his present dedication. Well, there's a third step that he takes that you and I can take. Shows up in verses 11 or verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. And the third step, I would put it this way. You know what David does that you can do? The third step to keep hope alive is this. Engage in congregational worship. Engage in congregational worship. That's what David does. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm waiting on God, but I'm still going to go worship with my brothers and sisters. Look at verse 9. I proclaim your righteousness in the great assembly. What's the great assembly? Well, that would be the gathered people of God. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Twice he talks about going to the great assembly. And he says, and when I get there, I'm speaking out. I'm declaring your righteousness. I'm joining others in speaking well of your name. Listen, David has given you a very good example. He said, you know what you do when you wait on God, how to keep hope alive? You make sure you still show up at the great assembly and you give it your declaration. You join in in the singing. You join in in the reading. You give of your heart. I've discovered over the years that a lot of people, when they go through hard times, they withdraw. They pull back. They pull back from others, and they pull back from God. And they go, I don't feel like going to church today. This is a horrible time in my life. And I would say, wait a second. This is exactly the time you need to be there. This is a time you need to show up. And not just show up. This is a time when you need to engage, not just be kind of, you know, detached kind of clinical and say, well, I put in my hour. No, you show up and through your tears, you sing. You speak it out. Why? Because it's part of how you keep hope alive. God is worthy of your praise from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun and in the good times and the bad times. And when you engage in worship with your brothers or sisters, something happens inside of you and God stirs in you. So do you want to keep hope alive as you're waiting? Well, you remember what he's done in the past, and you reaffirm that he got you in the present, and then you engage in congregational worship. But you don't stop there. Look at where David goes next. In verses 13, or verses 11 and 12, he tells you a fourth step that you can take when you're waiting on God to keep hope alive. And the fourth step is simply this. You admit your helpless condition. You admit your helpless condition. You just get raw, honest with God, and you say, God, I, I got nothing. I am in a deep, deep pit. And you, you pour it out to God. You admit your helpless condition. Look how David does that. He says in verse 11, Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. 
For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Like David is not trying to kind of soft sell what he's going through. Verse 12, he says, God, I got more troubles than I can count. You see that? Troubles without number have surrounded me. It's not like I just got one hard thing in my life right now, God. It's not like I have two. It's not even like I have ten. It's like I got so many troubles, I've lost track of them. David lived that way. Multiple times in his life, he had troubles almost more than he could count. One of them, I was thinking about this week, is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 15. You remember the time when his own son Absalom tries to oust him? Boy, talk about a time with troubles without numbers. His own son Absalom pulls off a coup. And if that's not bad enough, some of David's most trusted, loyal uh, entourage go over to Absalom's side, including a guy named Ahithophel, who was his chief advisor. And if that's not bad enough, David is told that the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So his own people that he served all these years turn against him. And if that's not bad enough, he has to flee for his life. Here's the king running out of Jerusalem. And if that's not bad enough, as he's leaving Jerusalem, there's this kind of schmuck, this guy named Shimei. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And he's just a really, really hurtful guy. He comes along the side of the road and picks up gravel and throws it at the king. And he says, get out, you man of bloodshed. God is paying you back. So he's heaping on, you know, he's heaping more on. And if that's not bad enough, then another guy named Ziba shows up, who's a servant, and says, you know, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, that you rescued, he's against you now, too. And if that's not bad enough, Absalom gathers tens of thousands of men, and they all come out to hunt down David. I would say that's troubles without number. That's what I would say. But it's funny. David doesn't just stop there. Did you notice in verse 12, he doesn't just say, I got troubles without number. Look what he says. He goes, I got sins without number. Look at verse 12. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My sin has overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. David doesn't just say, my problems are all out there. He says, my problems are also in here. It's not just external things, it's internal things. He goes, I got more troubles than I can count, and I got more sins than the hairs of my head. Now, the average young adult has 100,000 hair. Okay? Blondes have more. You know, redheads have less. So, uh, you know, you can count out how many you got. And as you get older, as you know, you tend to thin out, lose some. So we don't know how old David was, but he had, he had lots of hair. And he says, God, I have more sins than I got hair. And by the way, the New Testament says God has numbered every one of your hairs, so God knows every one of your sins. What's David saying? He's going, God, there's a, there's a whole lot wrong inside of me, not just outside of me. And part of keeping hope alive is being real enough with God to pour out your soul to him. Not only about the troubles out there, but also about the sins in here. See, it's a paradox. It's with, in repentance and rest comes, comes restoration. And if you want to keep hope alive, you can't keep dancing around the stuff inside of you. You have to deal with the dark sides. And I remember times when I would look at myself over these months and saying, God, I'm, would you help me with this? 
But as you come clean, he starts to work in you, and it's how you keep hope alive. So you keep hope alive by remembering what God's done in the past. Can you do that? How about reaffirming your dedication in the present? And you engage in congregational worship like you are today. And then you admit your helpless condition. And then there's a fifth step. You'll see it in verses 13 to 17. Is that you appeal for immediate intervention. You say, God, please come right away. I need your help. I need your help right away. Appeal for immediate intervention. Look how David does it. Be pleased, O Lord, to come and save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvations always say, the Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, my God, do not delay. Did you, did you notice the, the cry for immediate help? Verse 13, oh, Lord, come quickly. And then verse 17, oh, my God, do not delay. Listen, if, if you're hanging on to hope, it's not wrong to keep asking for help. Jesus taught us in Matthew 7, verse 7, ask and you will receive, seek and you will knock, or seek and you will find, knock and it will be open. And those verbs that Jesus used are in the present tense. It's like, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. David's been in wait, waiting mode for a while, but he's still saying, God, please come quickly. I need you today. Oh, Lord, I know I asked you yesterday, but I'm here again today. You appeal for immediate intervention. And then you wait in hope. You wait in hope, in confidence to say, God, I don't know when your help's coming. I don't know how it's coming but I know you. And I'm taking active steps of faith because I trust in you. Would you be my help today? Let me show you one last helpful thing and hopeful thing that comes from this psalm. This psalm does not just point us back to David. This psalm also points us to Jesus. And I say that because look at verses 6, 7, and 8. Just look at those. Those verses are quoted in the book of Hebrews, and they're applied to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 5 through 7 say this, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, speaking of Christ, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will. What David wrote that applied to him in some way applied to Jesus in the fullest way. Because think about it. Jesus came and he went into a pit deeper than any pit any of us have ever gone into. Jesus came and he went into the mire of your sin and my sin. Jesus came and he presented his body and said, here I am. I desire to do your will. And God's will for Jesus was that he would wait through the long night of Gethsemane and walk the long road to Calvary and die on the cross for you and for me. Jesus knew what it was like to wait on God. Jesus knew what it was like to pour out his heart to God. Jesus knew what it was like to dedicate himself to God. 
And so now Jesus becomes for us the one we turn to. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.16, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may find grace and mercy in our time of need, that we may receive help. So let me remind you of this. Are you waiting on God today? And does it seem like a long wait? You have a Savior who knows what waiting is like. And he tasted death, and he covered all those sins that you have done. And now he says to you, will you trust me? Will you hang on to hope that I'm the kind of Savior who will never, never leave you? Will you trust me when you cannot trace me? Will you trust me when it seems like my hope is not coming in the way or the time that you want? Will you continue to say, dear God, I'm going to keep hope alive until your help arrives. And I'm going to keep taking active steps of faith because you are a savior worth trusting. Listen, I don't know what you're waiting for today. I've had my share of it this year, but I can tell you this. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And the help that we seek comes, not always in the way we want it, but in the way a wise and loving Savior chooses to give it. So you can wait in hope. Why don't you just take a moment silently to talk to God, and then I'm going to sing you a song that I put together in the middle of all this. But why don't you just talk to the Lord right now? Maybe you're having to do some waiting. Tell him that you are waiting on him. Ask him to help you keep taking steps of faith to keep hope alive till help arrives. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about online courses at Heritage College and Seminary, visit our website at discoverheritage.ca or visit our personal website at rickandlindareed.com.